Atamaria, welcome to First Up. It is Rahina, that's Monday, the 15th of August. Kor Nathan Rarere Aho. Coming up, going around the world, we head to the USA where author Salman Rushdie is recovering after being attacked. Uh, it's been a year since the fall of Kabul. We check in with World Vision in Afghanistan. We also recap an incredible rugby weekend with Stuff's Mark Hinton, who's still in South Africa. Also, New Zealand hip-hop dance crews are among the best in the world, so we go to the USA to the hip-hop dance championships. Plus, why supermarket giant Costco has delayed its grand opening in Auckland, and what people think about the big retailer coming to town. It's like like going to Disneyland, waiting for Disneyland to open. That's what I feel like to me. I feel like I'm American. Kia ora, kia ora. Uh, welcome to First Up, I'm Nathan Rarere and we have an interesting show for you today that begins in the US of A, uh, where noise from Donald Trump and his allies has been very loud uh, since the raid on his Mar-a-Lago resort. With me now from New York is Anna Burns-Francis. Kia ora, Anna, how are you? Kia very well, thank you. It's uh, a lovely weekend here in New York, just coming to an end. Everyone's pouring back into the city to start the new working week. Oh, beautiful. Hey, um, tell me this, you know, so the, the, the raid happens at Mar-a-Lago and there are those that just only want to see him basically as the Messiah. What has the reaction from the right been uh, and what is Trump's defence? <laughs> yeah, well, actually, there's a rally planned for outside Mar-a-Lago. I think it's tomorrow, so things could heat up even further still from his supporters. It's given them a couple of days to cross across the country, trek across the country. Uh, paying in force more than $5 a gallon for gas, they'll all be complaining. But uh, certainly still rallying a lot of support for the former president, claiming that everything that the FBI has done is completely uh, unlawful, it's government overreach, it's a gross injustice. Broadly speaking, the volume of complaints is that this is unfair because Donald Trump can do what he wants, that he has carte blanche to declassify any documents that he wants to. Um, never mind that, number one, you have to have some proof you've declassified them. And number two, have you seen that list of documents? Quite unusual. Not just secret stuff, but, you know, relating to the French president, Emmanuel Macron, does make you wonder what on earth he was planning to do with them. Now, interestingly, we have seen some talk of planting evidence by the FBI, except now we've learnt there's camera surveillance footage. So not only will that prove what the FBI did or didn't do, but apparently that camera footage has been useful in justifying the search because it showed that the documents were being moved around before the search. The most interesting part, that I've got to say, Nathan, of all of this might be the right-wing splits that we're seeing because outlets like Fox are reporting the existence of top-secret and nuclear documents, not questioning whether they were planted. And there are some Republicans now who are sort of, well, they were throwing their arms up in the air, but they've gone quite quiet now that the details of that search warrant have been released. Now, I'm not going to say that they've decided to back the FBI, but I think they might be buying some time, possibly, to see how much these new developments have damaged Donald Trump and any run that he might announce for 2024. Anna, I saw a strange clip of one of the Fox hosts, uh, initials BB, Brian something, but he was saying, oh yeah, well they said they were going to get 25 boxes, apparently there's only one box, so I don't know, and I was thinking like, even if it's one box, mate, it's still one box. <laughs> oh, I know, about, you yeah. can't argue with the, with an illogical argument though, can you? And that's no. part of the way that they 
confuse and and rally support is by making out to their audience that not only can you not believe anything anyone else says, you can only believe me, but also how can this be true because this is ridiculous and this is ridiculous. Hmm. An ongoing saga. Yeah, yeah. What did my mummy say? That you can't reason someone out of a position they didn't reason their way into. And there we go. Let's let's talk though about just um, some a really horrible happening I read about too. So Salman Rushdie, of course, uh, author of the Satanic Verses, there attacked on stage. I think he was stabbed. Can you tell me what's the current status of him? Well, you'll be pleased to know it's actually improved as of this afternoon, New York time. Uh, so Salman has been moved off the ventilator that doctors had put him on after that attack, um, that horrific stabbing attack. Yes in upstate uh, New York over the weekend, someone rushed on stage and uh, witnesses described, and of course time seems to slow down, doesn't it, that it felt like almost a minute until they'd managed to haul the attacker off Sir Salman and get the situation under control. He was airlifted to hospital in nearby Pennsylvania undergoing a marathon surgery. The nerves in his arm were severed, and it's still not known actually whether he'll be able to keep his eye, which damaged the attack. However, his agent says Sir Salman is on the mend. His recovery, though, will take a long time. Uh, the man accused of the attack, Hadi Mata, he's a 24-year-old. He's pleaded not guilty to second-degree attempted murder. The second degree is where there is intent, but without premeditation. So originally from Lebanon, uh, Hadi Mata is said to have travelled from his home in New Jersey by bus to the centre where the attack occurred. And although Salman Rushdie had been living under that fatwa issued by Iran's spiritual leader since 1989, he'd actually been living in New York for a long time now without security. The Institute didn't even have a bag check at the venue. So the accused, uh, according to the FBI or investigators, is thought to have shared some sympathies with Iran in some online social media posts, but he's pleaded not guilty and he appears in court again on Friday, New York time. Yeah. Let's keep it in New York. We'll go to the New York Times. Uh, this is interesting, too, considering our first story there between uh, state secrets and where they may have gone. But anyway, I see the US is to open another base in Saudi Arabia, and that's going to take the place of Guantanamo Bay. Yes, well, this is interesting on a number of fronts. So just for a bit of context for your listeners, there are still just 36 prisoners at Guantanamo. Of course, that number's come right down since its peak in 2003. Across the last two decades, around 6,000 men and boys have been through that camp. Excuse me, but these last few cases are really dragging out. So the Trump administration released just one person. So too has the Biden administration. And that man was actually repatriated after suffering such immense mental trauma that the deal allowed him to be sent home to Saudi Arabia for psychiatric treatment. Now, more than half of those still at the camp have actually been cleared to be released but most of them are from Yemen, and Congress has decided that's not a safe place to send them back to, so the new plan is Saudi Arabia. Now, interestingly, in the context of how America's relationships are playing out with the Middle East, we have seen uh, Saudi Arabia and the US form a much closer tie under the Biden administration than perhaps anyone had expected. Of course, you know, Joe Biden went and met with leaders uh, in the past couple of months. And there was a bit of an uproar at the time because, of course, there's never been anyone held to account uh, and for the killing of Jamal Khashoggi, the Washington Post journalist who was murdered a few years ago. Now, Saudi Arabia was said to have been held accountable for that. And there was much concern that Joe Biden was reopening the line of communication with a country that hadn't taken accountability for the killing of a U.S. citizen. Now, of course, the U.S. seems to be closing up even closer, but it may be finally going to be draw a closed, very controversial camp in a controversial part of American history. 
Yeah. Anna, thank you very much for your time out in New York City. That's Anna Burns Francis. 12 past five, I'm listening to, oh, I'm listening to, you're listening to, we're all listening to. Let's all be a part of it together. First up here on RNZ National with me, Nathan Rarity. Very uh, keen for your feedback. Uh, you're all Blacks weekend. Did you enjoy that if you're into a bit of that? Or what was your what was your thing? I really enjoyed that. I felt very happy for a bunch of men I don't really know. I thought, oh, good for you. Good for you. I thought, what was your good for you thing that you saw on the weekend? 2101. Maybe it was the same thing as me or maybe, I don't know, maybe a... Your cat learnt how to lose how to use the, the little tray. Two one oh one. Uh gimme some gimme an uplift this morning here at first up on RNZ. Well, it's been exactly one year since Taliban troops rolled into Kabul to take control of Afghanistan. Afghanistan's economy collapsed almost overnight and with the world's media and international agencies now largely absent, the humanitarian crisis still occurring is easily overlooked. Someone who is witness to the deprivation currently facing many Afghans is Asuntha Charles, National Director of World Vision Afghanistan. I asked her what the scale of the crisis is at the moment. Actually, according to uh, UN's World Food Programme, calls Afghanistan as the worst humanitarian crisis on earth because we have around 24.4 million Afghans who are needing humanitarian assistance. And out of this, 18.9 million are facing acute hunger. So what I'm seeing on the ground is children going without food, healthcare services are missing, and there is a severe malnutrition among children, lactating mothers and pregnant mothers. The, the crisis is really huge, and there are premature babies being born every day, the numbers are increasing. For the past one year, we have had about 124,000 premature babies, out of which 13,700 babies have died. So this is the crisis that I see on the ground in Afghanistan. I was about to ask you what people are desperate for, but it sounds like they're desperate for everything, Asuntha. Yeah, you're right. Because when people ask me what is the need in Afghanistan, I tell them people need food because over 95% of the people skip meals. So there's a need for food, there's need for healthcare services, there's need for safe drinking water and sanitation facilities, there's need for education, there's need for protection, there's need for employment. So the needs are huge in this country. And, you know, you mentioned there the need for education, but education is always so hard because, you know, I, I guess, you know, it's, t- it's tough sending uh, your kids to school at the best of times. But when a family is hardly coping, are, are children able to get to educational services? Yes. Uh, some of the children started going to school. But uh, last year, this year, March, we also had a, ba- a ban for um, secondary schools for girls, which is quite disappointing because still there are girls in Afghanistan who want to really complete their education, have jobs, have a dignified living. And such kind of restrictions are really affecting the lives of children. And um, this crisis has also increased the n- uh, number of child labors in the country. So child labors are growing day by day because... They do all type of menial jobs just to support themselves and also support the families. When you mentioned there about that it's education for girls, is is that ruling that makes it you know hard or impossible for them? Does that just come directly through through Taliban rule? Yeah, because this uh, the schools were open in the past, 
but now those opportunities are missing and especially for girl children so this rights to education to girl children becomes a big challenge in this country so uh, this is a big crisis that we are having just to see children staying back at home and there are many children just crying that they have lost this opportunity which should be given to them as a right yeah the, the, the levels of foreign aid what what levels of them are able to get to the people of afghanistan yeah because as you know after august 15th the banks are no more operational in this country so we have to use lot of other measures to implement programs wherein bringing cash inside the country becomes a huge crisis and because of this the the projects that we implement are becoming expensive and uh, this is not really helpful in meeting the required needs of the communities so another crisis is the banks not being operational in, in this country which has a serious implication on the on bringing funds into the country and also making sure that people have people get the right amount of benefits asunta uh, yeah, this has just been one year what do you expect to see uh, Afghanistan look like in another year's time if things continue the same way? Yeah, it's going to be a very tough time to see because the crisis the the crisis is increasing day by day and after one year we are repeating the same number of people who are under humanitarian crisis. So with, if there are no job opportunities, educational facilities for children, this country will face Uh, much more challenges in the coming years and uh, this is the biggest worry that we have but in spite of that we want to be hopeful that maybe things will change for better and people have a much better future that's the hope with which the international communities have decided to stay and deliver in this country uh, Sunthi, you're the, the national director there for World Vision Afghanistan. It, it's, it must be difficult for you as well. Tell me about you and your staff and, and how you are coping. Yeah, it's just uh, a hope for the future of the children of Afghanistan that keeps our spirits high. It's a challenging moment for us and every day there are a lot of challenges that we have to face. But the huge crisis that children face uh, are facing in this country gives us that kind of a courage to continue our work because if we stop working many more children will be affected, many more will be malnourished. So it's just to make sure these children have a future is what makes us to be committed in staying and delivering in this country. That's Asuntha Charles, National Director of World Vision Afghanistan. It is 19 minutes past five, staying in the region, Pakistan, celebrating 75 years of independence from Britain. I asked our correspondent, Kazvar Klazra, in Pakistan how the event is being commemorated. Yeah, you are rightly pointed out, Pakistan is celebrating diamond jubilee with traditional zeal and favour with the commemorative ceremonies being held across Pakistan today. And uh, let me tell you, uh, traditionally, the day dawn with 31-gun salute in Islamabad, the federal capital, and the 21-gun salute in the provincial headquarters as well. Prayers were offered uh, for the security and the progress of uh, Pakistan and for the well-being of the people. And uh, let me tell you, Pakistan and India got independence from British rule of 14 August 1907. And Pakistan celebrate Independence Day on August 14, while India celebrate on 15. And uh, uh, this time, it's been 75 years, it's called Pakistan's called independence from British rule. But uh, sadly, 
Pakistan is just to become economically and politically strong country. That is sad. Yeah, there's been a, a huge jump in fuel prices around the world. Tell me what's going on in, in Bangladesh and how much their costs have increased. Well, uh, it's a sad story. You know, Bangladesh is one of the world's fastest growing economies. and uh, But sadly, it has raised fuel prices by more than 50% in a week. It blames rising oil prices in the wake of the war in Ukraine. And uh, uh, let me very clearly tell you that thousands of the people in Bangladesh have taken to the streets in protest against uh, rising fuel price. And uh, another source in each South Asian nation faces a growing financial crisis. A unexpected rise in the fuel prices in Bangladesh have seen, you know, petrol prices go up from uh, 86 sticker and uh, uh, that is equal to 91 cents and per liter to, uh, to 130, 130 that is equal to, uh, you know, 1.37 US dollars. So it is a very high price and, uh, um, uh, you know, equally the kerosene price has been raised by 42.5%. And this unprecedented, you know, uh, hike in the fuel prices have actually prompted the people to come out to the street and protest against the government. And I know Sri Lanka had a lot of protests against the government recently too. Is it still in crisis despite the change of president? Well, you know, uh, Sri Lanka has already elected new president and the government has started functioning, uh, but the country is still experiencing its worst economic crisis in the decades, lacking foreign exchange reserve to pay for the imports of necessities like fuel, food, and medicine, causing shortage of many products as well. This is what, that is horrible in Sri Lanka. So we can say that despite the change in the presidency, uh, the, uh, the crisis is still over there, and this is really horrible. And the common people of Sri Lanka are protesting against uh, the fuel prices and uh, other edible items as well. So this is disaster. It, is, it, it just continues. That's Kaswa Klasva in Islamabad. Twenty-three minutes past five. I'm Nathan Radadi, and you're listening to First Up here at RNZ National. Coming up, we're going to uh, find out about the success of New Zealand's hip hop cruise on the international stage in the US Champs last night. We were good. Also, we go to Mark Hinton. Uh, I've got him on the line from South Africa to dissect the All Blacks victory over the Springbok. Where they are standing in the rear. Big ones, small ones, some as big as a head. It's time to find out what's happening in your fruit and veggie world uh, for the week. It's the Minister of Fruit and Veggies, and it's Glenn Forsyth who is with us. Morena, Glenn, how are you? Oh, very well. Nathan, how are you, buddy? I'm pretty good. It's cold. It's very cold. Yes. cold. Middle of winter, colder in the studio. Hey, look, we're halfway through August, so uh, let's get into the five-plus recommendations for this month. So a little bit late there on my homework. What do you got for us? Yeah, we talk more today about fresh herbs, a five-plus-a-day choice for August. First time I've had the pleasure of talking with Russell Jordan yesterday, and what an absolute gentleman. Him and wife Jan started growing tomatoes over 40 years ago in New Plymouth, but in the late 80s, switched their glasshouse to herbs and never looked back. We chatted 10 minutes on herbs and 30 minutes going down memory lane. It was hilarious. But they are serious about the business, grow them all year round, and supply the markets, the, the retail, and also restaurants, including salad lines and micrograms as well. Their company is called Natural Fair, and some Toby is stepping into the field too. 
They do the ones in the pots, which you keep alive on the windowsill, and cut herbs in packets, which you keep in the fridge. Now, their most popular lines are basil, coriander, and mint, followed closely by chives and parsley. Russell's favourite, by the way, is marjoram. Now, they use a lot of coriander at home in pies and soups, but he made special mention of their mint. They grow an old-fashioned mint like our grandma used to grow, and they are very fond of it. So do try some of this. Lovely mint sauce for the lamb, he says. So, yeah, yeah, get into it. If you want authentic mint, it has to be growing out slightly out of that crack just under a corrugated iron fence. Eh, hey, Glenn? That's the, yes. that's the old-school mints that you used to have there. Um, that's right. What about pumpkins, man? Yeah, vegetables, slim pickings at the markets this morning. Nothing can oversupply, but that, you know, thank goodness for mushrooms. There was good numbers of these. A couple of greens looking nice with leeks and silver beet. Silver beet is also known as chard, Swiss chard, and kale beet. It tastes similar to spinach, but has a stronger flavour. Now, the young leaves can be used raw in a salad, but silver beet is usually eaten cooked, pureed, or finely chopped. Silver beet makes an excellent base for many dishes. Now, I'm not sure if this is weird or not, but we always chop up a, a few leaves and put it in our lasagna bakes. But do you have a favourite pumpkin, uh, Nate? Yes, Maggi Creamy is my favourite <laughs> pumpkin. <laughs> Legend. I mean, pumpkins have been grown for centuries and supposedly originated in South America. The terms pumpkin and squash are often used interchangeably, and while there are many different varieties, most can be used in place of each other in a recipe. For example, we have the crown, butternut, and supermarket squash available at the moment. Store in a cool, dark and dry place. Uh, now once cut, keep fresh by so, um, what do you do there? Scooping out the seeds and refrigerate in a solid um, so speak your pardon, sealed container. Yeah, pumpkin pie is very good too. Underrated and lovely. Hey, um, heaps yeah. of oranges, apples and pears around at the moment, eh? Yeah, I mean in winter we always have our stock standard three vegetable lines and I guess the same with fruit in August. These being apples, pears and oranges. No shortages on all of these bad boys today. New season avocados have been going for some time now but with low oil content still they are on the watery side. It's not until November really they become dry and buttery and we have an exciting release in November too of an up and coming avocado to chat about them. Big um, pardon, just lost my note there. Let's finish on the first shipment of USA grapes. These look spectacular. Seedless also. The green are big and usually begin with the variety Chimarone and the reds are flame seedless. The flames are small but for, for their size they pack a punch for flavour. Very easy to eat. A bag of these in one sitting and surprisingly filling so that's lunch sorted. Most of the early ones come from Arvin in the Central Valley of California. Boats are less frequent this year Nathan so get in quick but yes, saw them, yes, um, saw them yesterday and today and good looking. Beautiful, just like you. Good on you, Glenn. Thank you very much. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. This is the day of our life. We call the 15th of August. Happy birthday to you. If this is your birthday, you share it with these famous names. Julia Child. Julia Child. You can't say Julia Child without at least attempting uh, that voice. Yeah, she was born in 1912. Now, still, still with us nowadays, though, Ben Affleck, who turns 50 years old today. Gosh, poor old Ben, what a horrible life he's had. And uh, in 1990 was the birth of Jennifer Lawrence, of course, movie star. And she just looks like fun, I think. The most fun person in Hollywood, everyone thinks. Everyone goes, I'd love to be mates with her. She looks cool. Let's have a look at some historical happenings. On 1914, they went, ta-da, cut the ribbon, and the Panama Canal was opened. The first ship that went through was called the SS Ancon. 
On this day in 1939, The Wizard of Oz opened at Grumman's Chinese Theatre in Hollywood and people hated it. It lost millions uh, at the start. In fact, it wasn't a hit until it was re-released 10 years later. But at first in the 30s, people just were not having uh, The uh, the Wizard of Oz. On this day in 1947, uh, independence for India and Pakistan, uh, ending nearly 200 years of British rule. And in 1971, they got out from under the UK as well. Uh, so yeah, a couple of independence days there. The Republic of Congo re- uh, gained independence from France in 1960. A lot of hippies showed up at a, uh, a place in 1969 to make it quite famous. There were supposed to be 50,000 people going to the Woodstock Music Festival, but 400,000 people went. Uh, Apocalypse Now hit theatres in 1979, and on this day in 2011, Auckland was hit by some grapple, which was, I remember looking out the window and I thought, is it raining or is it snowing or is it hail? What is that? And I wasn't right. It was a combination of all three. It was grapple. It is uh, heading towards 6 o'clock. Katrina just said in my ears, I've never heard that term before. Basically, it was like, it looked like very small hail that behaved like snow, and it was snow-like in the air, but it almost melted as soon as it hit the ground, or just before it hit the ground. So you kind of got the nice little bits of snow cover. Pretend snow, yeah. Snow that doesn't try hard. Snow that needs to pull itself up by its bootstraps and be more than it can be, quite frankly. Uh, Anand Zaki's uh, with, me in, uh, with me right now. Kia ora, Anand. How are you? Very well, thank you. A bit cold yeah, this morning, isn't it? It is a bit brewer. Well, you'd be very brewer. But hey, talk about how happy things with the oil giants around the world. They're not cold. They're all dancing around there. They're setting fire to cash to keep their hands warm. Tell me about the profits oh, for the cold. oil giants. <laughs> oh, look, the Saudi uh, oil giant uh, Aramco, uh, Aramco, I think they say, so it's the world's biggest oil company, uh, broke its own record 48.4 billion US dollar quarterly profit, uh, second quarter of 2022. 90% uh, year on year increase, and it's the biggest. Uh, earnings uh, since uh, for the energy exporter since its public listing three years ago, and according to Bloomberg, uh, it's Aramco's uh, Aramco's figure represents the biggest quarterly adjusted profit of any listed company. Period. Uh, staggering figure, and uh, you know, it's Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It's uh, seen oil and gas prices skyrocket, and you know, we have sanctions on Russia, and many nations are deliberately avoiding Russian oil. So, demand is growing on countries other than Russia to supply oil. And then you have the good old uh, supply-demand dynamics. So Aramco, um, uh, companies like Aramco benefiting from that. Uh, and now they're saying that they will keep expanding to meet demand and they think oil demand, uh, oil demand will continue to grow at least for the rest of the decade. Uh, that's despite all the downward economic pressures uh, at the moment. Uh, and I mentioned, you know, the world's biggest oil producers uh, benefiting. Uh, Exxon Mobil, Chevron, and BP all posted massive uh, earnings this year, and it's leading to growing calls on governments to uh, impose a windfall tax, uh, so, so one one-off tax targeting companies uh, lucky enough to benefit from something they weren't responsible for. So certainly a topic which I think will continue to be discussed uh, for this year, certainly and. Uh, 
certainly as long as these companies keep posting these uh, incredible profits. Yeah. Um, tell me about what's this new rules coming in for businesses that, that's here in New Zealand? Yes, uh, so businesses are being told to uh, take notice of updated consumer protection and contract laws that come into effect from tomorrow. Uh, Some steep fines associated for breaking those rules. There's a change to the Fair Trading Act uh, offering new protections against unfair conduct, uh, unfair business-to-business contract terms, including unconscionable conduct. Uh, Now, I told you the fines are steep. Uh, Traders found to have engaged in unconscionable conduct can be fined up to $600,000 for a business and $200,000 for an individual. So please uh, take note of that. That's the message from lawyers that we've, we've been hearing today. Yeah, keep it conscionable. That's the, uh, that's the first up way of uh, business advice this morning. Thank you very much, Ananzaki. Uh, you can hear more from the business team on Morning Report this morning at 10 to 7. If you're out there buying other currencies with your New Zealand dollar you can buy the following 64.53 US cents 90.56 Australian cents 62.82 euro cents 53.18 British pence 4.3 yuan 86.13 Japanese yen and 57.45 Afghan Afghani Barry, guys, with us from the Sports Mall. How are you? Yeah, good, good, good weekend. Yeah, I th- what was your? Th- I've got two uh, rugby headlines here to pick from. What was your most surprising rugby headline? Was it Pumas thrash Wallabies to take shock rugby championship lead, or burnt cheese roll halts NPC match? Oh, I didn't see that one. That was the that South, would take my one. Southland. Yeah, South and Auckland, apparently. Oh, uh, the fire alarm go off yeah, or something. Yeah, fire alarm. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, that's great. That's the most, unless a stag <laughs> ran out onto the field carrying a Swede, I don't think it could be more Southland than that, could it? No, that's outstanding. Wasn't it good? Yeah, fantastic. Uh, I see Canterbury continuing to roll on in the NPC and the FPC just very quietly. Yeah, they do. Don't you know, they, they just, uh, yeah, I mean, the Canterbury FPC team have just... They've come from behind and scored some, you know, just finishing strongly. There you go. They just, yeah, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, mate, we were just discussing out in the office. Are are we in for a big week? uh, I know you're talking rugby a bit later, but Mm. um, really, I, I, I don't know about whether... Let's just carry on. You know, they just uh, they they did well. The All Blacks at the weekend, and um, uh, yes, uh, Argentina's top of the rugby championship. I see Michael Checker some quotes. He uh, he said he was up cheering when Argentina scored the sixth or seventh of their tries or whatever it was, and then he sat down and he had a had a tear in his eye because it was his <laughs> former team that he uh, that they were that they were thrashing. Um, yeah, and they now come out to New Zealand. He's looking forward to it. He said, he said New Zealand is a great place to uh, visit and to play rugby, and so uh, he'll be out here shortly. I, I love uh, Michael Checker. He's a man that wears his, his entertainment. passion on his shoulder, Yeah, and all he, all he wants to do is win. Exactly. You know, and um, he got a lot of stick for Blimmin' the way he acted and those sorts of things and got angry, but again, he was just a man yeah, that wanted to win. Yeah, but we loved it, though, didn't yep. we? Yep. We, we, we did. I mean, like, we've been hunting for a Dennis Connor since he walked off, you know, the set yeah. of Paul Holmes, and we, we'd like to try and find one all the time, but oh, I thought he was fun. 
Yeah. Uh, we got uh, the Black Caps this morning. Man, I've been quite impressed with just how they're coping with everything. The conditions in the West Indies are a bit like the subcontinent, they say now. Mm. You know, in Santner and Michael Bracewell and East Sodi, you know, the slow bowlers have bowled well. But we've still got Bolt and Southey and Lockie Ferguson waiting for uh, conditions when perhaps they go to the T20 World Cup uh, later this year. That New Zealand black cap squad just looks really well balanced at the moment and I'm very happy with the, the way that they're looking. So they play again this morning, the third T20 International. Uh, there is some rain forecast, but we'll just have to wait and see. Um, I'm looking forward go. to watching them. Oh, yeah. I'm sure we'll be fine. We've got the artillery. Good on you. Thank you very much, Barry Guy. Cheers. Uh, also, two yeah, Dodgers winning uh, 12 straight in the Major League Baseball. There you go. First time since 1976. So that's good. It's uh, 21 minutes to six. I'm Nathan Rada here with First Up here in RNZ National. So still to come, yeah, we will uh, talk about uh, the All Blacks and that. An, an exceptional uh, win and a really bizarre press conference from New Zealand Rugby CEO as well. We'll cover that off with Mark Hinton. And also why the supermarket giant Costco has delayed its grand opening in Auckland. <laughs> The professionals of Morning Reporter here after six. Let's have a look at a uh, preview of what's happening on the show today with Mr. Corin Dan. Kia ora, Corin. How are you? Arthur Maria. Good morning. Yes, we will be looking at the uh, allegations of bullying complaints against MPs uh, at Parliament. We'll speak to the Prime Minister. Uh, this has been a huge issue that's blown up in the last uh, end of last week around the Labour MP Gaurav Sharma. Uh, so we'll have lots more on that, including our political editor, Jane Patterson, as well as the Prime Minister this morning. More on Salman Rushdie, too. We'll speak to a New Zealand publicist who brought him out here uh, some time ago. I think it was in the oh. 80s or 90s, 90s uh, to talk about that uh, shocking incident over the weekend. And the rugby. Oh, round of applause. Yeah, Let's just be celebrate a magnificent... Victory. I, did you get up? I hope you got up. Do you know? No, no, I didn't. Oh, oh, oh. Um, but we did the, you know, the, the, oh, the yeah, get up and then you watch it straight away before you make a blow um, for you. On the news, yeah. No, I, I got up for it and uh, I just, it was just, uh, yeah, it was great because just all that pressure and just seeing people with their backs to the wall respond like that. Now we have this incredible situation where we don't know whether Foster's got the job or not. No. I'll tell you what, though, staring down the hucker didn't work for old beach muscles, did it? <laughs> <laughs> with his with his staring down the oh yeah is that right and then he couldn't throw a line out in so I was like thank you very much for that no sir. well they, no they made a they made a blue there not putting Malcolm marks in didn't they no they're wonderful and also too I thought that rather than trying to kick it downfield to make them tired like we have we tried against Ireland didn't work tried against, was it made a difference to try and run it at them instead I thought so well done yeah now well done good, good stuff. adjustments cheers thank you very much uh, Corin Dan and Susie Ferguson are with you after six o'clock well originally slated to be opened in mid August supermarket giant Costco has pushed back the opening of their flagship's new, uh, flagship new store, which is in Westgate in West Auckland. The announcement came last week uh, without a new confirmed opening date given. So reporter Leonard Powell took a trip out west to find out what the hold-up is. From the outside, Costco Westgate looks close to being finished, but with the latest announcement pushing business back, it's clear things are still up in the air. Costco Managing Director Patrick Noon says the delay has been a result of the inevitable hurdles. Our builders had numerous delays with materials coming in late offshore. We've had delays with uh, COVID on site and uh, we've had a wet few months. So everything sort of added up together that 
he needed a few more weeks to get the job done. So we're happy, more than happy to comply with that. Across the road from the $100 million megastore is Costco's gas station, which opened this year with 27 self-service pumps. Mr Noon says it's been a hit. Oh, it's been quite busy. It's um, We were told at one point in time it was one of the busy ones in Auckland. So we've been very pleased with it, in fact, because it gives our members a place to go and buy uh, less expensive fuel for sure. I think the business will continue to pick up as we when we open the warehouse up too and people will make that sh- uh, stop there when they come shopping. Out at the Costco gas station on a sunny day, a steady stream of vehicles are filling up for $2.51, provided you're a Costco member. This woman says the cheaper fuel has been a game changer. Oh, it's absolutely fantastic. It's something that we've needed for a very long time. You know, that all these other ones are just, yeah, <laughs> price gouging. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so you're excited for the Costco to open? I'm counting down the days. <laughs> I can't wait. How often have you been coming here to fill up since it opened? Uh, regularly. We have a number of cars, boats, quad bikes, you name it. We come here now for all our fuel. So we just plan our journeys and, yeah, when we need fuel, we just come here. This ute driver is also a regular. How often have you been coming here since it opened up? Two, three times a week. <laughs> yeah, nah, I use a lot of fuel, so it's actually good. It's only 130 bucks now to fill my ute up. And what would it be at other places? Uh, 190 near 200 But not everyone is sold on the cheaper gas. These motorists are sceptical about the pricing, though we're still coming to fill up. It was very cheap in the beginning, but now I feel a little bit... Expensive than the start, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. The prices have changed. It, when they originally uh, opened, there was like a 30 cent difference between the different fuel companies. Now there's only 5 cents. It seems to me like they've dragged everyone in with the cheaper fuel and now they're just being just under the competitive market to everyone else. But the anticipation is clear. This customer travels from central Auckland to fill up his car and can't wait for the Costco. I'm very excited, man. I've been watching um, videos on YouTube with like Costco's products. Can't wait for the store to open. So um, can, it's like, you're, like going to Disneyland, waiting for Disneyland to open. That's what I used to feel like to me. And I feel like I'm American. Like, I feel like I'm an American citizen. But I'm proud to like be a member of Costco's. Heard um, their staff and how they treat people. So that's what we need out here in New Zealand right now. Especially with like having the viruses going around and people like passing away and stuff. All you need is like, I don't know, that extra mile to like feel, make someone feel special. Yeah. Like many other businesses, Mr. Noon admitted it had been a struggle to find staff, with the retail giant employing 70% of the 300 New Zealand employees needed. He said Costco was also eyeing up future new locations. Based on the reception we've already got, we, we are looking in um, the two big cities, Christchurch and Wellington. We don't have any sites we're ready to sign off on yet, but obviously if this one does well, it opens up opportunities in those areas and perhaps a second one in Auckland in the future. But currently there's nothing concrete, but there's certainly aspirational areas for us. And whilst he couldn't provide a specific opening date, Mr Noon said it was more likely weeks than months until opening. Well, well before Christmas, we're just waiting on the a general contractor to tell us when he can get the works done and then we have to coordinate all the approvals through council so it won't be too many more weeks now it is 12 to 6 you're listening to first up on rnz national we're going to go to uh, this is exciting you go to the united states now where new zealand hip-hop dance crews have just been rated 
is among the best in the world. Uh, the finals of the World Hip Hop Dance Championships took place in the US state of Arizona last night with crews from Aotearoa coming in the top three in three of the major categories. So here we go. They are Swaggernauts, uh, who came second in the Varsity Division, I Descendant, who came third in the Adult Category, and Young ID, uh, who placed third in the Junior Varsity Mega Crew Category. That sounds good. Uh, they were competing against teams from 52 countries with more than 4,000 dancers taking place in the championship. This all sounds a lot more complicated from when me and Noel Spencer used to walk into town with our cardboard that we'd, we'd lay out and do backspins out in front of the library there in Hastings. Anyway, all three winning New Zealand crews were coached by the director of Identity Dance Company, Josh Cezanne, who joins me now. Kia ora, Josh. Kia ora, how's it going? Good, I should call you super coach, really, shouldn't I? <laughs> Thank you very much. It's been an amazing night. So yeah, it sounds like it. Tell me, tell me, uh, tell me about these three crews. Oh man, they're they're a bunch of Kiwi boys and girls. That, um, from the outset, you'd look at them and you would think that yeah, okay, maybe they do some cool stuff. But wow, when you see them on stage, they're incredible. The bunch of boys um, just led the way in terms of skill, technique, um, performance. And uh, the rest of the girls that were within Young ID, honestly, it, they blew us away. It was an amazing week of performances, and um, they really did New Zealand proud. You know, when you see all the different dance forms, you see, you know, your, your ballrooms and your jazz and your, uh, I guess, like your, I don't know what the Irish one's called, but the arms down and stuff. Hip-hop dance <laughs> is, an, is an interesting one. How, how big is hip-hop dance around the world, and what is it that you look at, that people can look at and go, that's hip-hop dancing? Is it just the music? I um honestly I, I I truly believe um this event is so extraordinary. They call it the Olympics of Dance. Um I truly believe that uh, if people were to take the time to watch this event, that even the grandmas and the grandpas and every age would be absolutely blown away by the absolute um skill um and spectacle of the of the visual that they get from this this art form. It's it's truly amazing. I think a lot of people feel like hip hop dance is just for people who listen to hip hop music, but I swear to you, all the all the um all the parents, every, everyone around us who who gets to witness this competition cannot talk more highly of it. It's really it's really refined into an amazing art, and um, it really does blow people away. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty big deal for New Zealand, isn't it? Huge. I think we have a very strong hip-hop culture in New Zealand. We have amazing dancers. We have many amazing dance companies. We are one of many um, incredible dance company who who deliver on the world stage. There's some awesome teams who threw out for New Zealand. And um, yeah, we do we do bloody well. We do bloody well. Good. What What's next for these crews then? Um, to be honest, some rest and recovery. <laughs> they, they have put their bodies on the line. Honestly, um, if you were to come to the competition and watch these performances, you'd, you'd see the blood, sweat and tears that got put on the stage. Honestly, uh, rest and recovery, but next year there are so many young dancers in these teams who can come back next year and who can make a mark on the stage and shoot for gold once again.
Well, I mean, a, a massive experience for them getting to be overseas, getting to compete against the world's best, finding Huge. out finding out that you yourselves are part of the world's best. Just take us right. I mean, like, gosh, they would have had to have fundraised and do all sorts, right? Oh, yes. Huge. It wasn't just about the actual effort of creating the routines. It was about fundraising. We had to qualify at Nationals first. We've got a very talented country of dancers. So even qualifying is a privilege. But then, yes, you have to, you have to qualify and you have to keep your, your bodies intact. It's very grueling on the body and mind, the whole process. So, yeah, it's, it's been an incredible journey and we've had to put a lot into it. But, yes, we did very well. Well, you did. Hey, Josh, congratulations. Uh, of course, uh, Josh Cezanne there coached all three New Zealand crews. Uh, he's from the Identity Dance Company, and we thank you very much for your time today. Josh, out of Arizona, you watch. There'll be, like, music video directors throwing money uh, at Josh now uh, to go bring us that magic to our screens. Well, yes, the All Blacks defied the critics on Sunday morning, beating South Africa's Springboks 35-23 to in Johannesburg's Ellis Park. Uh, was seen by many commentators as a do-or-die match for All Blacks coach Ian Foster after they had lost five out of their previous six tests. At a press conference yesterday, New Zealand Rugby Chief Executive Mark Robinson said there won't be a decision made on Foster's future until the team gets home. Joining me now from South Africa is, is our uh, stuff sports journalist Mark Hinton, uh, who's been covering the tour. Kia ora, Mark. How are you? Yeah, hi, Nate. Uh, yep, special weekend here in uh, Joburg, no doubt about it. TAB's <laughs> fronted finally. I've got to say, it was interesting. Before the game, it very much seemed like there was a, a high level of confidence in South Africa. So confident, it was treated a bit like a World Cup final. There were dignitaries, there was a flyover for a plane. It, it very much appeared like they thought the All Blacks were marching out to the gallows, from what I could see, Mark. Yeah, the confidence here was unbelievable based on the previous week and, and possibly it was their undoing. I think they just took their eye off the ball a little bit and this All Blacks team went up for a couple of notches. I mean, it was a really good win, Nate. Um, from where they were, you know, the t- uh, they led 15-0 early, but um, the old box came back at them and actually led 23-21 with with um, about 13 minutes to go and Bowden Barrett sitting in the sin bin. You wouldn't have given tuppence for the All Blacks' chances then, but... Uh, you know, surprise, surprise, they finally actually closed the match out. They were brilliant in the last 15 minutes, even a man down. So you got to tip your hat to Ian Foster. He answered his critics, didn't he? He gave us a real serve in the post-match, and, and us media types who were pretty horrible to him over the last couple of weeks. We just had to take it because uh, we had egg on our on our faces and, <laughs> and Fozzie was the winner. So um, that's the way it goes in sport. Uh, and whether it's enough for him to keep his job, you wouldn't um, be mm. putting your... Um, a TIB account on it, mate. Uh, Mark Robinson did that press conference early, early this morning, South African time, uh, Sunday evening New Zealand time, and and really um, all signs pointed to the fact that uh, the, uh, the All Blacks coaching team is going to go under the microscope this week and refused to endorse uh, Ian, you know, as coach. Said basically there was a process that had to play out and a recommendation would go to the board. So. Um, nervous times if you're a fan of Fozzie because he might not be in the job for much longer. So that making of the call, will it be the New Zealand Rugby Board or will it be yes. the CEO, Mark no, Robinson? Be the board. Okay. No, the board decides on the uh, appointment or otherwise of the All Blacks coach, but Mark Robinson said um, that they would be given insights and information on uh, basically 
what what is the best thing uh, going forward for the um, All Blacks in terms of their head coach. Look, we don't know what they've got in mind, and it, this feels like a process that had already started before last night's game because Robinson talked about uh, things like um, taking stock and... Um, he, you know, he wanted the, the team to be back around their families before the next move was made. Well, you know, if you read between the lines, something's mm. going to happen. So I don't know. I mean, Fozzie may keep his job. You know, maybe there'll be a change of heart, but um, also I'd point to the fact that he could be going un- under the microscope and it might not go his way. Look, people want to know uh, likely re- replacement scenarios. The name Scott Robertson comes up all the time. Would, would it likely be him? And if he is, do you think they would ask him to take over halfway through a rugby championship with a squad he didn't select? It seems crazy, doesn't it? And also with a, a coaching and management setup, which might be part of why there's sort of. Uh, you know, there's a, a time lapse, and Mark Robinson referred to it as uh, some sort of information coming back on this towards the end of the week. It could take time. Look, Scott Razor Robinson's the obvious choice, Nate, but whether uh, they can make that happen, it's, it's pretty well known that he would want his own crew in there. Um, there's a lot of employment matters, contracts, and things, logistics to work through. Um, thank God we've got New Zealand rugby making uh, making all those big, big moves because you know it is difficult, and they are so well qualified to do that. You know, you've been covering this tour. I, I asked you last week about how your you know how your South African compadres have been in that. Your view of this All Blacks team as you've covered them? Have you ever seen a team under so much pressure? No, I haven't, uh, and they, it was really backs to the wall for them, but what a performance. I think this was their best performance in the last three seasons, all things considered. The pressure they were under, the opposition, the venue, one of the most toughest places to play in, uh, in world rugby. Um, I think it was their best performance in three years. Did we see it coming? Absolutely not, but they, it didn't look like they had it in them. So they surprised us. New Zealand rugby has amazing talent, you know that, Nate, but... Uh, um, it, it just didn't seem like they had the teamwork and the wherewithal and all those other little factors that go into it to produce a performance like that, but they did. They confounded us. So it's reassuring if you're a New Zealander. We still have rugby talent. Yeah. We've just got to kind of work out how to be consistent. Actually, I like that you said that because it did seem after I was watching the Ireland series and that first one, I thought, oh, man, even our best players are nowhere near good enough. But they are. And it is, so it's good. Faith restored. Thank you very much. Mark Hinton uh, of Stuff there was in the Republic. Yeah, I thought it was uh, quite horribly handled yesterday, actually, by the Chief Executive, Mark Robinson. I thought, well, if you didn't have anything to say, then just don't do it. it. There we go. Nolene is a big fan of Mint, is pleased that we mentioned it. Uh, Johannes Hugenboom says, have you seen enough from Mark Robinson's interview? Body language and Foster will be sacked and paid out when New Zealand get back. No question. Thank you, uh, Johannes. And uh, Pride in the All Blacks and Fozzie, huge disappointment in NZRU is another one that's coming. Morning Report is next. First up is back in your ears. Uh, Bobo.